Hello, guys. How are you doing? Thank you for joining us on the Not The Top 20 podcast Monday pod, sponsored by Betfair, who we thank hugely for their continued support of Not The Top 20 podcast. On the Monday pod, we break down the weekend action from the Championship League One and League Two. Now, who better to do that with than not me, Andy Maxwell, but him, me. George Ellick of Sky Sports Friday Night fame and Saturday Night EFL on Quest fame. Fair to say, George, there. Mm can barely be a man or woman in the country that knows more about the weekend action in the EFL. But how did you enjoy your busy weekend of work? And Sunday, 36 holes of golf fame. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I loved it. It was um, it was a great weekend of uh, EFL action. It's always fun, those, the Friday, Saturday, we call it the double header to each other. That's and a it, phrase that only we know and we made up that no one else would understand. Well, but if, if I were to say to you, I've got a double header this weekend, you'd know exactly what I meant. If I just said it to anyone, they'd be like, what are you double heading? I'd say, are you playing 36 holes of golf? It was, it was actually, <laughs> that's true. It was it was a double, double header. <laughs> the Jed Wallace weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was good. I had a great day in a, in a quest with um, with Ian Holloway, who I'd actually never done quest with before. I, I'd, I'd worked with him previously, but never on, on quest. So it was nice to spend the day with him. Two very similar um, men, I think. You know, obviously a big age gap. I think very similar outlooks on life. Positive to the extreme, kind, generous, um, and both known for highly motivational speeches. So you guys must have gone on famously. Yeah, we, we gave each other a pep talk before going on air. Uh, <laughs> he's, he, was, he was very, very um, fun to work with. I had a great day there. It's always just a, a, an enjoyable day. It, it never fails to amaze me how I get in at about midday and suddenly I'm leaving and it's midnight and I've had to digest a lot of football, talk about it, but it feels like only about an hour's past. It is remarkable. Make it sound like you basically black out for 12 hours. I think I might do. Like, Mar- you, you like, said, like you, that TV show Marcella. What do you do in those 12 hours? No one knows. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anna Friel famously from uh, Goal, the Goal uh, tr- trilogy. But then you messaged me earlier today saying, Something that I said on the show and I was like, yeah, I don't know who you're talking about. I can't remember it. So maybe, maybe I do black out. Well, that's good because it means that everything you say on this podcast will feel fresh and it might well be fresh. Mm. Uh, I was at a, a friend's wedding. So unusually for me, I went into the church at about 3.30 knowing some very interesting early scores. And then due to poor signal in this small country church and then what I would consider, even though I say so myself, to have been a huge wedding guest performance, heavily involved throughout. I basically didn't know any scores until Sunday, which is incredibly unusual, quite weird, to be honest. But Despite seeing a lot of good footballing content over the weekend, my favourite bit of content was seeing you lying on the floor singing along to a song in your wedding garb uh, on Saturday night. That was my favourite bit of Saturday. You're, you're the real winner, mate. Hey, na, 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 na. Yes lying on your back singing amazing we've, mate we've got a full midweek slate across the efl so let's say some stuff about the weekend that will age very quickly and we'll start in the championship and we'll focus to start with on swansea cardiff that was on sunday and i think it's fair to say that swans fans will have gone into this one feeling more confident about beating particularly this cardiff side than maybe any other derby they've ever played in but then that in itself comes with some nerves I guess uh, as it was George Cardiff well Swansea started well and, and should have probably had an early penalty it was a bit of a clumsy tackle from Nelson on on Laird yeah. did he get the ball did he kick his foot hard to say corner given and then the first one and a half chances actually went to Cardiff uh, we knew how the game would play out Swansea in possession Cardiff looking to play the ball forward and, and find space and I mean it almost worked didn't it because Giles had a huge chance at 0-0 which he hit straight at 
Hamer. And then Kiefer Moore had a, I mean, what looked like it might have been a one-on-one. He was played in behind the defence, basically from the halfway line, but Norton got back, sent him wide enough, and, and he could also only shoot straight at Hamer. 25 minutes in, George, it was five shots to one in favour of Cardiff, albeit with Swansea dominating the ball. They were struggling to, to penetrate, really, other than Laird down the right side. But then you look back after full-time, a 3-0 Swansea win, a crackling atmosphere, and, and it looked fairly comfortable in the end once they did go one up through a screamer from Patterson. What did you make of this spicy South Wales derby? Yeah, I mean, if Cardiff score one of the early chances, it's obviously a very diff- different game. Um, and as you say, they did look the likelier too. But this was all about Swansea clicking um, for a long part of the game. It was, you know, I, I looked at this quite intently <clears throat> before the weekend um, in preparation of our betting show on Thursday because I was quite interested in Swansea and I, and I didn't bat them. I didn't tip them. I didn't do anything with them because that Cardiff performance against Reading um, was in defeat good enough to give me doubts um, and, and make me think that Cardiff would be able to to create chances against Swansea. And after 10 minutes, I was pretty happy I'd made that decision. After 90, not so much. Um, I was quite surprised that um, we saw Mick McCarthy revert back to the tried and tested um, three at the back. Five well, what's funny? I thought you were yeah. making a joke. I thought you were saying the tried and tested, the tried and tested five, five CBs. Five centre-backs. Well, the... the, the three centre-backs and then two centre-backs at, at full-back or wing-back. Um, because, it, you know, the, he, he mentioned before the Reading game that he thought they needed to change the, the system. Um, Sean Morrison's injury gave them a, an opportunity to do so. And even though they lost the game, they were they were clearly much, much better for it. Uh, but they reverted back to the formation um, that they've been playing when they've been so poor previously. Um, but I think that the, the main thing to note here, and, and you know, I, I, again, I've said this quite a few times this season. I, I thought maybe by the time we, we'd be recording, we'd be speculating as to who would be the new Cardiff manager after the, after a result like this against their local rivals. But as of yet, no news coming from Cardiff um, to suggest that Mick McCarthy isn't still their manager. But I think the, the thing to focus on here even more so than just Swansea executing their game plan pretty well and being good, was that this is one of the best performances of the season from Jamie Patterson in, 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 as an individual performance because you know, he's a player who, you know, he, I think he's kind of seen as being a, a championship player who on his day can be much better and whose day doesn't necessarily come along very often. But it strikes me that playing for a manager like Russell Martin could really see him go up another another level because he's somebody who with the ball at his feet can create chances. He is someone who maybe hasn't always played for sides who who like to get the ball into his feet as, as often as he'll get it in at Swansea, especially in the final third. The strike for the first coming off both both posts was a moment of pure quality that got them in front. But also the two assists were, were both absolutely superb and, and at a level that you probably won't see many championship players able to, to pull off, especially the little dinked ball over the top for Bidwell. Um, it was a great run, a, a good bit of vision from Laird to see him running up, coming in on the underlap. And then he didn't even look up. He just knew he was there and had the quality to, to pull off the dink for Bidwell. I, just you know what? I think he was just trying to score. <laughs> no way. Yeah, I think he was dinking it over the keeper, trying to find the far I, post. I definitely, I mean, we, we're going to disagree on that one. I think it would be, for a player of his quality and what he was able to do on the day, I think that would be a, a massive miss if, if that is what he's trying to do, especially with the way the ball's rolled to him. You'd think he would just, just hit it rather than stand it up um but i mean I, yeah so I'm, I'm giving him credit for it and i thought that he is you know he's a guy who i, I think we we can probably anticipate that if swansea are going to be um improving over the next few weeks so they're going to be a side who under martin uh 
get themselves in a better position in the table. I think Patterson, as an attacking force, is going to be key to that, and especially on the, on the basis of his form uh, yesterday, where he was absolutely purring, a, a brilliant signing who fits the way that they want to play. I knew you'd go mainstream with Patterson, so I wanted to flag up a couple of other good performers for Swansea. The, the most important player outside of Patterson and what he was able to do involved with the three goals was probably Laird, because realistically, and this isn't the time to start picking holes or, or, or asking questions about Swansea, but when you look at the way that they're playing, the makeup of their team, Laird is really the only ball carrier in this uber short passing possession based team. And those are like gold dust in those teams, because when opposition teams sit in, when they defend well and they're well structured, you need that spark. You need someone who can win their one on one battle in order to basically uh, well, rattle the opposition structure and pull it apart, uh, and that's what Laird did all day down the down the right. You know, <clears throat> he's been quite blessed on his loan so far to play for Russell Martin teams because, as a right wing back in this side, uh, you know, as we often say, his, his heat map is probably higher up than most right midfielders, right wingers in the league. Um, and he was absolutely excellent. Flynn Downs, who's been so good so far, hasn't he? Signing from Ipswich, a real kind of do it all midfielder, good, very very strong technically, but can also mix it and enjoys doing so. I think. Just playing in this team will have Downs' value skyrocketing for sure. I mean, he was already someone mm. that Crystal Palace in the Premier League wanted to sign at a cut price off, off Ipswich Town. That didn't go through. And you have to think his next transfer fee will be a hell of a lot higher than the one that Swansea paid for him. And then Joel Pirot, who is cult hero for uh, Swansea fans at the moment. What a brilliant, brilliant signing. I'd love to know the story of his signing. Uh, if anyone can put us in touch with the uh, Swansea head of recruitment and we could hear a little bit more about how and why they decided Pirot, who had such a good goal-scoring record at youth level over in, in Holland, was the one to lead the line for them because it's six goals already. He's only started eight games in the league this season. Um, and on, Fri on Friday on Sky, George, we talked about brilliant summer signings and I think if we had done that segment this Friday Pirot might mm. have snuck in um, he'll get his moment mate he'll get his he'll get his name and light soon I'm sure yeah plenty more of those segments to come he will get his chance but I, d I think just in terms of style I really like how he plays he's, he's kind of a nice mixture of brawn and artistry like he's he's clearly a, a good unit a solid unit but he moves really smoothly and he's got an absolute cannon of a left peg and then he showed a deftness to finish with his right in this game as well as you say for Cardiff it's a, a miserable time that they've lost six games in a row they've lost seven of their last eight I think the only win in that time was against a Nottingham Forest side under Chris Hewton who were in a similar position to, to how Cardiff are now so um, it, it remains to be seen how many more games Mick McCarthy gets to, to turn things around it, it's pretty clear um, that at their best they were solid and fairly dynamic in attack with their direct style and scored a lot of goals from set pieces more than anyone else and now they're not solid uh, and they're not dynamic in attack and they're not scoring goals from set pieces so um, pretty clear that we've seen the two sides of, uh, of Mick McCarthy's teams uh, in the space of well less than a year really um, and we move on to Fulham 4 QPR 1 I'm not quite sure if this one is local derby or local affair so I'm not going to put my body on the line with that one a few, a few of those um, this weekend weren't there there were George there were that's what we're talking about Mitro is the story again for me here has to be um, since joining on loan at Fulham in January 2018 uh, 50 championship goals in 69 games nice uh, and in that time 
out of strikers that have played more than 50 games in that time period in the Championship, while his goals per minute record is, is one every 121. Pukki, the next best, with a goal every 132. And then Billy Sharp with a goal every 160. So we haven't seen players like Mitro very often uh, since we've been covering the league. The quality of goal of his goals as well on the weekend stands out. If you watch the two back, there just aren't very many players in the league that can do what he does with crosses. So, for example, the first one was kind of lofted ball, not a lot of pace on it, ostensibly not a lot for a striker to do with it. But Mitro held off his defender. He chested it down perfectly into his shooting motion, basically, into a you know a one-metre-squared area that was the only bit of space in the box and smashed it into the corner on the half volley. And then his second one, just a brilliantly deft, flicked header, keeping the pace on the ball that came with the the in dipping cross and basically posting it in off the far post the only possible spot that Mitro could have scored that goal from that position in order to well the only place he could have put it in order to beat Dieng so it's hard to look past Mitro here I mean Fulham I guess the wider story was George they'd been leading against Coventry before international break they'd been pegged back early in the second half and then they'd gone on to lose 4-3 they'd folded and that was held up as um, you know something concerning really are they stone cold killers well this time they led against QPR they got pegged back to 1-1 and then they went and won 4-1 so it evens itself out over the course of two weeks how did you see this one? Well mate as, as Logan Roy found out if you say, tell someone they're not a killer that can really bring out the killer in them so what? Are you joking? Are you spoilering? No, that was the last episode of the second series. I mean, that is an incredibly topical cultural reference there without any spoilers. So, but I'm feel- It's a spoiler if someone hasn't watched season two of Succession. Mm, there's the killing in the metaphorical sense, as we're talking about in football. It's literally the perfect reference. So, yes. Carry um, on. <laughs> Fulham, I mean, Fulham were great in snatches here. I don't think there was necessarily loads between the two sides and kind of general play. Um, I think at 1-0, QPR's equaliser felt like it was coming a bit. You know, will it hit the post? Um, but this was a, a classic case of individual quality winning games. You know, you've you mentioned Mitrovic's finishes there, um, you know, holding off Dickey as if he wasn't there in the first goal was impressive. The, the header, as you say, was, um, was, was pretty remarkable. Series ball through to Reid, a moment of sheer quality. Reid's finish, very good too. You know, it was just... In in tiny moments, Fulham just had that extra quality to, to see them to see them clear. Um, so, and that's going to happen quite a lot this season. Mark Warburton said after the game that he felt like at one all they had a control over the game, and, and it would be hard to disagree. I, I don't know necessarily, you know, in the ascendancy and going to win, but they were certainly in with a chance and felt like they were going toe to toe with one of the best sides in, in the division at the time. It wasn't obvious that Fulham were going to be the ones who go forward and score, but that moment from Mitrovic, which I don't think many strikers would have scored, uh, proved to be the difference, and then they they coasted clear from there. So um, it, it it's an interesting one because when Fulham are like this, and I don't think they necessarily played incredibly well, um, it it just feels very hard to see anyone stopping them. But we've seen a couple of times already this season that that you know they have put in performances where they haven't been able to ease clear. Um, and I do wonder if that reliance, because you know it was a reliance in the end on on key players showing that extra quality to get them the three points. I, I wonder if we need to see a little bit more in terms of them controlling games going forward. Well, Tom Kearney is back and ready to play. He didn't come off the bench on the weekend, but he hasn't played any minutes this season. It's quite hard to see 
where he fits in the midfield, which is incredibly stacked already. Fabio Carvalho, perhaps the man who's returned from injury, is, is most sought after by the fans, and, and we expect that to happen in the next few weeks. I would suggest Carvalho's spot in the three behind Mitro looks more obvious than Kearney's spot maybe in the two behind that uh, three behind Mitro. So, uh, bad, I mean, good a good option for Marco Silva to have. Uh, West Brom 1, Birmingham 0. It may not have had the goals of Fulham for QPR 1, George, and actually, the first half was one of the most miserable first halves of football I can remember watching uh, with you. But was there something similar in, in, in the theme of what you just said about Fulham QPR in that, you know, maybe not millions between the sides in sort of general play, uh, but a moment of quality from a player who shows a lot of moments of quality in Carlin Grant. And I think he has four in four now. Yeah, I mean, crucially, one moment of quality with, with Fulham. It, it enabled them to, to get a three goal um lead uh, by by the final whistle whereas for West Brom it really was just one moment from Carlin Grant um, where he was able to you know, it was a game of basically very fine margins I thought it was an awful game to be honest um, I, I didn't really enjoy it um, as a spectacle I thought Birmingham were effective in stopping West Brom but I'm starting to get quite concerned that you know I, I thought it was impressive when Stoke did it I thought it was impressive to an extent when Preston did it um, I thought it was impressive when QPR did it for 80 minutes. But are we actually seeing that maybe West Brom's threat from set pieces has certainly massively dropped in the last few weeks? And from open play, they're, they're not really doing a great deal either. And they do seem to be caught on the on the counter more times than, than the Barnsley side were last season that Ishmael um, was in charge of. So, you know, it, it, it's a big win for them. And as you say, Carlin Grant is a fantastic player and they've got a few of those who can do that, you know, in, in Callum Robinson, in um, in Matt Phillips, I, I think eventually in Grady Dangana, even though we haven't seen it this season yet. Um, but this is, yeah, it, it feels like some sides are working out how to negate a lot of Baggy's threat. Um, you know, obviously Cardiff were unable to, but that was in the midst of, of a poor run of form. Um, but it does feel to me like their performances are, are definitely taking a slide. Um, Birmingham will feel quite aggrieved not to have got anything out of the game. I think for at least parts of the game, they look like they're probably the likelier team to score, to be honest. Um, Suniac hitting the, hitting the woodwork. But it was a game of, of very few chances. It was a game that probably neither team really deserved to win. Um, but as you say, Carlin Grant is a, is a quality operator at this level uh, and scored a, scored a goal with the one real moment of quality to, to win the game. Maybe quality is the theme of the weekend at the top of the championship because Bournemouth maintain their quite incredible record. They're now on 28 points from 12 games, unbeaten, of course, and winning more often than not at the moment. Just three goals conceded in their last seven games. Coincidentally, that's when Gary Cahill started playing alongside Lloyd Kelly in the heart of their back four. I mean, they beat Bristol City 2-0 in a game of pure dominance, a uh, huge goal for class between the two sides. Um, Jamal Lowe started this game playing off the right uh, of a 4-2-3-1. We haven't seen him play there too often. And when you think about what he might bring to the table there, well, that's what he showed. He essentially allowed Stacey to be the right winger in possession. And Stacey's so good at staying high and wide, galloping down the, the flanks and providing good delivery. And Lowe's job was to do what Lowe does pretty well and, and be that sort of Second striker, I suppose, a, a kind of foil for Solanke, uh, another fox in the box type when the delivery comes from out wide. The delivery was excellent from Stacey and there was low to, to finish it off. The second goal brought a huge smile to my face because Jordan Zamura is one of those players who does that. Uh, brilliant to watch the left back. He <laughs> dribbled towards the box and then he seems to get 
even better at beating a man when he gets into the box, which is pretty unusual. He absolutely danced past the defender to create some space and rifled a left-footed shot into the near top corner. Three goals already for him from left-back, all of them taken so, so well. And such an exciting young player. And then I've got to mention Gavin the big switch, Kilkenny, because... He was a regular feature of the Monday pod to start the season, started Bournemouth's first four games with Pearson and Lerma out and performed really well, right? And then Lerma and Pearson came back and Scotty Parker was like, Gavin, big switch, mate, have a rest for a month. Not even in the squad <laughs> for the off. last five, five, nice switch off. <laughs> Not even in the squad for the last five or six games. And then this week, Lerma only gets back from Colombia on Friday. Pearson is suspended. Big switch, do you fancy slotting back in? Sure, Scott. Do you just want me to protect the back four, patrol the centre of the park and play some big switches? That's exactly it, mate. Spot on. Go and do that. Okay, boss. Done. And that's what he did. So that was the the, the brilliant sort of on-pitch stuff. The wonderful, heartwarming uh, response or, or shows of support for David Brooks from the whole crowd, Bristol City fans and Bournemouth fans, um, was incredibly touching. Yeah. Uh, you can only imagine how wonderful that must feel for a young man who must be in need of as much support as he can possibly have right now uh, I think most people listening will know but some may not that he was uh, diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, stage two uh, the hope is that like with Sol Bamba who suffered a, a very similar diagnosis uh, that David Brooks can will recover um, and yeah I sort of I had a moment this weekend where I just because he's also just a player that's so fabulous to watch. And I was thinking about some of the, the best moments of Brooks since we've been doing this podcast. Coruscating runs inside from the right <laughs> wing. You know, quick feet, performing high difficulty skill moves at, at breakneck speed. I think of a, a very famous nutmeg on Hunt in a Sheffield derby. He's called the win and goal against Leeds for Blades as well when he was so young. And then since he's joined Bournemouth in the Premier League and now in the Championship, so many wonderful moments that we almost take for granted. And, and those are the, the things that we can't wait to see again. And I'm sure that we will see them again. Uh, and of course, we, we both wish him all the best. But more of the same for, for Bournemouth and in a sense, more of the same for Bristol City as well. Because, you know, the headline stat is they haven't won at home in 16 competitive games. But I must say, I, I like the fact that the fans aren't making a bigger deal out of this. Like, clearly, it's not ideal. Clearly, they would love to see their team win at home. But I think they've, they've been understanding enough to to see the bigger picture and I think the feeling is that Nigel Pearson's doing the job they want him to do they can see positive signs and they're fully supportive of him this isn't the game to get upset about Bournemouth are an excellent side the best in the league you have to say so far certainly looking at the league table so uh, no harm done no shame in losing 2-0 to, to this Bournemouth side and a, a great performance from them Sheffield United Stoke was a I thought quite an eye-catching fixture I was intrigued to see how this one went George um, how did this game play out Sheffield United winning 2-1 from behind yeah, it was a decent game. Um, it was probably the pick of the 3pms, I thought, in terms of, of the <clears throat> quality of the encounter uh, as a neutral. Um, Sheffield United looked good immediately. You know, they, they looked like they'd um, stepped up a, a, a bit from, from the form we saw pre-international break. Um, I mean, Billy Sharp this season has been... <laughs> I can't really think of a player who is performing in such a different way to how I imagined they would be performing. Where Billy Sharp has, has made his name, and we've known him for, you know, for the best part of twenty years, basically as a as an EFL goal poacher. Um, and this season, he's basically doing everything but. He made an incredible goal line clearance in the first half um, to keep the score at nil nil. 
he's the one who's dropping in, um, feeding in balls through to to Gibbs White, Osborne, and Dai. Often, you know, he's been creative this season more than he's scored. It's it's amazing to see, and it kind of feels like it's testament to him that maybe at a time where Sheffield United aren't creating plenty of chances, he's worked out that he can still have a part to play by using, you know, we often see players who are maybe coming towards the twilight of their career who haven't necessarily been the most technically gifted either as wingers or as front men often dropping in and using, you know, their, their experience to, to impact the game from deeper areas. But with Sharp, it's happened so quickly. Um, You know, he was brilliant. He, he, He was, he was superb without being one of the, one of the scorers. Uh, and I think it said a lot that he was left on the pitch even when the, when the changes were made. Um, you know, Brown scored the first goal to get Stoke the lead, which probably wasn't really deserved. And not to say that Sheffield United were, were necessarily all over them, but but generally, it looked like Blades were, were the better side. But delighted for for David McGoldrick to come off the bench and to impact the game that he did. Such a popular player, a player that I kind of love uh, to watch, a player who's already made that. <laughs> that um, career move more gradually that I was mentioning there from Sharp as somebody who used to be a, a you know a front man who's now almost probably more able to play centre midfield than he is up top um, and him getting the assist and the goal Felice Mousset as well to come off the bench and, and get his goal showing the quality that Blades have in reserve um, a game where kind of neither side I think lost much in terms of, of, of where I see them um, high quality uh, but sh- certainly for for Sheffield United, especially given the, the level of Stokes' performances in recent weeks, to come back from from behind at home against a side in the in the top three or four in the table at the moment will be they've, they've had some false dawns this season. But um, I think Sheffield United fans will be hoping this is the result and the performance that that maybe sets them on one of Slav's runs that we know is probably going to happen at some point, um, whether it's now or not. We're going to see. It was more a case of just dawn not coming when they thought dawn should come right like yes you know they thought the sun was rising at the, on on august the the 6th or 7th whenever the first weekend of the season was and it didn't rise really till the start of september but i note that you know they're they're, they're settling in now chef united that's 13 mm. points from their last seven games just under two points per game the most goals in the league in that time and and certainly the second goal in fact both goals felt very Slavisa Jokanovic football team scoring goal uh, and that's <laughs> exciting I must say as you mentioned the supporting cast that won it but that front four of Sharp as you mentioned showing a, a different side to himself and then the three behind him being Gibbs White who was signed on deadline day and Diai who emerged from nowhere and Ben Osborne who we know as being a, a highly versatile very good both technical and sort of hustle and bustle type player thriving future coach as well and, and a future coach yeah sounds like a future yeah coach and manager of the, of the EFL for sure uh, being excellent as a, an out and out left winger really in the 4-2-3-1 so I don't think we could have predicted when we looked at how many amazing attacking options they had on paper that that would be Slav's go-to front four uh, but we show that the the quality they do have off the bench is helping them win games as well. Millwall nil, Luton too. You gave this a big and on the betting show um, some big words on Luton and how their performances have been excellent and I think we are seeing a little bit of reaping from some of that early season sowing here because, of course, they only won two of their first nine, Luton, but it was mainly due to some sloppiness in, in both boxes. One particularly eye-catching, terrible performance against Birmingham. They lost 5-0, but generally the performances have been good all season and the numbers reflect that, uh, and now they're on a very good run. Uh, I think we're seeing the results starting to match up with the performances, and that's exciting. I think 
you know, the easing of defensive injury issues has helped hugely. Tom Lockyer and Sonny Bradley are first team defenders, first choice defenders for, for Luton Town. And not, neither of them played much football at all until about game eight, nine, ten. And now they're both in the heart of the, of the defence and, and Luton look a lot stronger for it. And then Harry Cornick, whose two finishes, I mean, represent potentially a problem for the rest of the league, George, because mm. Cornick for years now has been someone whose final finish or final ball sometimes when he's cutting it back or crossing has probably been the only box left unticked, I would say. You know, he, in terms of movement and speed, running in behind, uh, through the middle, down the sides, constant movement, um, stretching defences, that has been a huge skill of his for for a few seasons now, for sure. Uh, And if he can now start finishing like he did, particularly for his first goal then that's going to be an issue for the league. You know, he's actually third in the league for expected assists per 90. So creatively, he's doing exactly what you would want someone like him to do. And he has six goals in 12 games as well. The perfect foil for Adebayo up top. And I think, you know, them as a front two are underrated for the moment, but probably not for much longer, I think, at at this level. Um, He was the the match winner, clearly, for Luton. And a brilliant, brilliant away win for them (coughs) against a Millwall side that we're not used to seeing them losing by more than one goal or winning by more than one goal for that matter. Mm. Yeah, I mean that that's that's exactly how I how I saw it, I think. And you mentioned Cornick and Adebayo there. It's it's for for Luton to have two goal scorers at championship level um with little repre- reputation preceding them um and little outlay in terms of recruiting them is every championship club's dream because you know, normally talents like this and players who are able to pull off the kind of finishes that Cornick, as you mentioned, especially with the first one, um, normally come at a premium. And the good thing is, is that if he carries on doing it for too long, there'll be other championship clubs who are willing to pay a premium for it. Um, yeah, this was impressive from Luton. Um, you know, Millwall came into the game at 2-0, as you'd expect. Uh, but until the second goal, Luton had controlled it pretty much throughout. Um, only, you know, I saw Jake Cooper had three shots from set pieces in the first half, I think, um, and didn't really come too close to, to scoring. Um, and, you know, Panzu nearly, nearly goes close with a, with a long ranger to make it 3-0. Jed Wallace missing a penalty, a good save from Simon Sluga, which could have changed things. But all in all, you know, even though the, the, the full-time stats may show you that, you know, Millwall won the shot count 15-6 and, and other bits and bobs, realistically, until the game was won, um, it was the away side who were the better team. And I mentioned on the betting show that you know what level of um, performance you're basically going to get with Millwall normally. They are a side who you can't, you know, you, you're not going to show up and, and beat them playing um, playing below your best. You have to go in and put in a certain level of performance. Normally, if you put in that level of performance, you are going to come away with the points because I'm not sure they really have it in them to, to be an eight or a nine out of 10 side here. But Luton's recent form shows that they can be that. And um and, and a big win for them to show, you know, against the side who probably have similar preseason aspirations of being at least mid-table, but possibly one of those who can upset the um, those those above them. Um, so a, a big performance, a big result, and this run of form um, from Luton, I, I don't really see any reason why it should end. So two points between them at the moment, Luton with, with two more, but you're saying overall a, a gap between the two sides in general overall? Yeah, yes, okay. at this stage. Let's do a bit of lucky dipping um, to finish off the championship. We've got four more games to talk about. We'll split the 2-0 home wins. So you can choose to talk about either Borough 2, Peterborough 0, <laughs> or Huddersfield 2, Hull City 0. What would you like to do? Uh, I will do 
Peterborough um, at Borough. Uh, this a was game... team ver- team missing almost every senior defender versus team that has lost every away game so far. Yes, um, and it was it was a fairly good game. I mean, the the referee was the I think the the key player in this one because there is just absolutely no denying that Siriki Dembele should have had a penalty um, at nil nil, which would have you know. Boris still might have won the game, but it was a really terrible decision, basically, where he's given a corner um, and Lumley's got absolutely nowhere near the ball. Uh, and I was kind of surprised to see Dembele not complaining a little bit more. It was almost as if he didn't realise. Um, so that was the big turning point. Having said that, it was a couple of moments of quality that that won it. You know, Martin Piero, a player that you've been very excited about, certainly showing his quality, both in terms of, of set-piece delivery and then the assist for the second goal as well from from Coburn. Um, you know, you mentioned there that Barra, I mean, Barra did have some terrible injuries, but I, I don't think it massively impacted their their first eleven. Um, in terms of you look at the, the eleven now, and it doesn't look necessarily injury hit. You look at the the subs that came on, and that's a different story. in Coburn, Jones, and and Silicky, the players to come on. But you know, McNair, Bamber, and Housen. I know that you may not think that. Well, one might might say that McNair and Housen aren't. Well, certainly Housen isn't a natural centre-back, but um, you know played plenty of football there in the past. And, and given Peterborough's shortcomings away from home, um, it's no surprise that they were able to, to largely keep, keep them at bay. It was a mind-numbingly stupid... It, it, Nathan Thompson does this, doesn't he? Like he, he, he is a very good player and he's been a, a fantastic player for, for Posh over the last few seasons, but he is prone to a, a moment of real madness. It was just such an unnecessary... It's so frustrating as a as a fan because he didn't need to do it. It was so blatant, you know. When you when you're, it's so easy to see and it's so easy to give as a referee, um, and it just amplifies the fact that they didn't get their penalty that they deserved early on. So I mean that was probably the the moment that changed the game. Uh, but it was entertaining, you know. Peterborough for all of their for their struggles, they played some nice stuff um, throughout as as they often do. Um, it didn't feel to me necessarily like Borough were going to win this one. Um, kind of an hour or so in. But the, the quality ended up showing in, in, in Piero and Crooks, especially. Um, they were able to dominate in midfield and have two players who were, who were creative and, 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 they were on, and they were on form on the day. Darren Ferguson has been <laughs> uh, very frustrated publicly with his players recently. And Nathan Thompson was basically like teacher's pet this season up until the weekend. He was the one that... Basically, Ferguson made a point of saying he's the only one, I think, that's stepped up properly that's taken mm. you know, responsibility for his performances, stepped up to the championship where he's not really played much before. So that would have been a, a real kick in the teeth, the teacher's pet turning bad there. Uh, Huddersfield 2, Hull <laughs> nil. Greg Sykes, Huddersfield fan, always sends in a Sunday scouting report, always good enough to be read out on the show. He says, further proof that dogs are better than cats. Terriers hardly purring, but enough bite to see off a rabid but muzzled city. Nichols and Lees marked their turf. O'Brien prowled, hog growled, and Holmes sunk his teeth. Tigers tail chasing, good spells, but their attackers appear neutered. I actually think he, I think he could be a future poet laureate, Greg. And if he is, <laughs> well, what origins? Um, they scored a goal from a corner, didn't they, Huddersfield? They have scored three set-piece goals more than anyone else in the league. 48% of their total XG generated, in fact, comes from set plays. Now, that is only a problem if you're not generating anything from open play and you're generating like mid-level set play stuff. They're generating kind of mid to low level open play stuff and huge set piece stuff. So I wouldn't say mm. a massive issue, but it's, you know, it certainly is 
winning them a lot more points than their general play, I think, w- would deserve. And that's the beauty of uh, a strong set-piece team. Um, a-, a lovely Dwayne Holmes goal. Um, beautiful finish. And I-, I can't help but notice, George, ever since I got a Terrier, Huddersfield have been really good. So if you don't mind, you're going to have to get a Tiger because Hull are very bad. <sighs> I don't know. know. Maybe I'll just say to my wife, I'm going to get us a cat. And then when she gets home from work, she'll see a tiger in the garden. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, they are bad, yeah. aren't they? I don't, I, don't, I don't want to keep banging on about it because... I'm imagining kind of... Sorry, I was sort of went a tiger. I was imagining hangover type scenes where I come back from a night out and forget I've got a tiger in my kitchen and uh, panic. Sounds amazing. I mean, they're looking, they're looking very poor. Um, but I still don't said. think they're as bad as the points tally and the results are suggesting and just nine points in 12 is a, a very very poor start to this season the first 25 percent 30 percent of it really poor they've given themselves a mountain to climb and the longer it goes on the more i feel like i'm shouting into the void but i don't know what i'm missing and what i'm not i mean t- tuesday is massive i think it's fair to say because they've got posh at home um i think for both teams that is is, is incredibly important that they take the opportunity to play undoubtedly one of the weakest teams in the league each um, to get three points. I, I, my, my biggest issue with Hull at the moment has been the lack of consistency, I guess, within the team. Um, you know, we're yet to see Hull line up, I think, with Lewis Potter, Honeyman, Wilkes and McGuinness, um, which was the the quartet that, of course, played so well together in, in forcing um, Posh out of League One. Um, McGuinness was the one that was missing on Saturday, Smith came in. Smith had a, a very, very poor start to life uh, in Hull. Eves came off the bench, who I think we can all agree, whilst he has some use, isn't really good enough to be starting week in, week out for Hull in the Championship. Um, and I think when all four of those players are fit, that is maybe when we're going to see Hull start to improve. But, you know, you say they don't, they're not as bad as, as the points tally suggests. Well, I would say they didn't deserve to beat Barra before the international break mm. anyway, which was, which was three of their points. They easily could have lost that game. So... Um, you know, and, and there are defensive players playing well. You know, Deshaun Barnard is is impressing again as he did last season in League Two for for Salford. I know that he's proving to be popular with Hull fans. Ingram made saves here at at uh, at nil nil. Um, we know that Greaves, we know that Elder. You know, we know that these are players who who we rate, so they should be better. Um, I know some Hull fans are, are, are pointing the finger at the manager, and and maybe you know, given. Given that we probably rate seven or eight of the eleven players at start for this Hull side, um, maybe maybe that is going to be who ends up pay who ends up paying the price if they don't start getting points on the board. But yeah, Tuesday night massive. Tuesday night is or is it? I think it's Wednesday night possibly for that game. Yeah, it is. It's Wednesday um, as Hull host Posh. I think if they, you know, against his former the club he used to manage as well for Grant McCann. I think if he fails to to get a positive reaction and a result there, then things are going to get very awkward for him. You can choose between Reading 1, Barnsley 0 and Nottingham Forest 2, Blackpool 1. Uh, I'll take Reading 1, Barnsley 0. There's there's not a great deal to be said, except that this is just so true to form um, with Barnsley creating... Well, that's not necessarily true to form, but the team that Reading are creating, creating loads of chances. Uh, Luke Southwood being probably the man of the match for them. And then John Swift... (laughs) Scoring there or having his say in in the only goal that, that decides the game. Um, I, a lot of Reading fans getting very excited about Scott Dan. I mean, I think both Dan and Drinkwater have, have started life at, at Reading very positively, which is 
you know a, a bit of a surprise i know that baba rachman was getting some rave reviews as well it, it's such a bizarre team on paper but everything at the moment suggests that it's working and i think vico Paunovic, often a manager who doesn't get much credit when reading when things are going well for reading deserves some here because you know there are a lot of players there we didn't necessarily think we're up to up to the task but they're proving at the moment that they are i don't think long term I, I have much faith in this reading run of form continuing I, th- I think they are running a little bit hot but they're getting points on the board at a time where it's necessary and doing so basically without a striker because it was another abject display from george puskas and, and lucas Rao can't come back early enough um but for barnsley marcus shop will be frustrated because he's endured a very very poor start um, he will see this as an improved performance. It, it probably was, albeit against maybe a side whose whose league position flatters them a little bit. Um, but they come away with with zero points again, and uh, along with Mick McCarthy, probably another club who um, Ali. I know sometimes you like to put certain clubs' Twitter accounts on notifications on when you think there might be some news coming out. If I was going to be doing that, I think Barnsley and um, Cardiff would be the two at the moment in the Championship, wouldn't they? Don't give away my social media secrets. I always just get baffled when my phone pings and it's like 50-50 draw at... And I'm like, why do I... What? Why am I getting told... Oh, Ali's put them on thing. It's good to get an insight into your, into your psyche as to which managers you think are under pressure. No, I want to know who's won the 50-50 draw. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, have you bought tickets? Do you buy tickets for every single... Is that why our accounts are so low? Is you're just buying tickets for every 50-50 draw in the EFL? You can't win the raffle if you don't buy a ticket. And if you've got a 50-50 chance of winning, George, then buying a ticket for each club, well, good chance of winning a lot. Also, you can't win them all. <laughs> good cliches. Uh, just staying on Twitter and Reading, Baba Rahman is becoming a real cult hero low knee. At 11.30pm last night, Sunday, he tweeted, Any royals still awake? Just wanted to say you guys are special and you give me so much love and support. I appreciate it all. It's one of the best things I've ever seen. I actually almost cried when i saw it because it was so touching oh was that was that the hangover <laughs> nottingham forest <laughs> beat blackpool 2-1 uh, the first goal here was the what i like to call the 3-4-3 dream uh, which was center back showing technical quality joe warrell in this instance stepping out playing a big switch to uh, low the left wing back high and wide in space because of the, the bodies in the centre of the pitch allow him that space uh, he controlled it well put it over a great cross and there's one of your uh, forward players arriving at the back post to tap in uh, Brennan Johnson as it was brilliant goal and then the winning goal the most exciting thing for me was seeing Worrell in the box having a shot from an open play attack um, maybe this was like 10, 15 seconds, sort of second phase after a corner. I don't think it was, but I'd just love to see that. If you're going to play three at the back and you're not using one or two of your centre-backs basically in attack, then I think you're doing it wrong. So that was good to see. A grab and smashed in his, his fourth in five games. It's been an amazing turnaround. And Steve Cooper, what a start he's had. Um, unsurprisingly, George, no one's grumbling about boring, pragmatic football because they're seeing a team that looks very well coached which Swansea always did, really, uh, and is really hurting teams, particularly in transition and, and getting the best out of a group of players who were playing really badly one month ago. Uh, are they some intricate attacking fluent side that will, you know, that look like they'll easily break down a low block? No, probably not yet. And at the moment, they don't need to because of where they've they've come from since 
Cooper started. If they keep winning and they become a playoff contender or better, then sure, they, they, they will need to develop that side of their game. Um, Chris, who's a Forest fan, who's on our NTT20 squad, one line of his match report caught my eye, and it wasn't about Forest. It was about Josh Bowler of Blackpool. Georgie said, Bowler's very exciting. I think he could be anything he wants, to be honest. That 1v1 ability is not far off Grealish levels. Uh, and to be fair, Whoa. I then had Hold my on. eye on him for all of the highlights, and he does glide past players as if they're not there. So that's exciting. He said Blackpool yes. only looked dangerous through him, but he did also say he didn't do enough out of possession. So uh, yeah. one to watch, Josh Bowler, who's had a, a great start to life at Blackpool. Uh, before we move on to League One, just to say uh, rest in peace to Trevor Hemmings, the, the Preston chairman who died uh, last week, someone who did incredible things for Preston North End Football Club as its chairman and owner uh, and who will be very very difficult to replace uh, and we send all of our best wishes to the Preston family and obviously to Trevor Hemmings' family as well in League One bloody hell George a lot to talk about some big wins and some big winners it's, League One's actually I mean, it's exciting me, but it's actually tiring me out how many good teams there are in League One. Stress. So let's start working our way through it. Why don't you tell me a bit about Oxford 1, Argyle 3, of obviously our league leaders, Plymouth Argyle. Yeah, I... Um, Hated it. I, w- I watched this. No, no, I mean, it was it was a good game. It was kind of how I imagined it would be. With It was, it was pretty end-to-end. Um, both teams, certainly with an attacking intention front and centre, um, I was quite happy as an Oxford fan when I saw the team sheets come out and saw that Ryan Hardy was on the bench. And Swansea, Loney, Jordan, Garrick, um, who played right wing-back last time Argyle played, was up front. Uh, and Garrick was, was sensational for the first half. He had um, he was turning Oxford in knots. He was his trickery, his pace um, continued to be a threat. And after Matt Taylor's first goal, um, a brilliant, sensational ball over the top from James Henry, uh, great touch and finish from Taylor. Garrick was was the one who got the equaliser. Um, he played his part with a with interesting with a, a double dummy assist, which I think was quite cool. Didn't escape my attention. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, he he dummied the uh, ball into Kamara for the first, for the two one goal. He dummied the ball into Kamara for the for the three one goal as well. Uh, telepathic understanding from those two. Uh, Panucci Kamara, you know, such a what a signing basically that's been from for, for Plymouth Argyle from from Crawley offered a new deal at Crawley at the back end of the season before last, and Argyle moved quickly to persuade him to turn it down and join them. And he's you know at twenty four years years of age, starting to dominate games of football at League One. Um, you know, he's he's a centre midfielder who scored the two goals here, but he offers a lot more than that. He is disruptive out of possession. He's got quality on the ball in it and a goal threat too. Um, you know, Plymouth Argyle were were very good value for their win here. Um, Oxford will feel themselves like they had many chances um, to level the game up at 2-1, which they did. Um, some poor finishing has been a, a constant theme, I would say, throughout the season, apart from the 5-0 win against Accrington. Um, a change of shape in the second half, moving Gavin White from from playing ten out to the right hand side um, helped them. Um, I, I just blows my mind that the Gavin White, who's who was so good in his first spell at Oxford playing right wing, has basically been employed on the left throughout the season. He is definitely a right winger who um, who yeah can be that aggressive goal scorer off the right. So um, troubling for Oxford's. But the, the crucial thing here being that Argyle are just a really good side. Um, they are so impressive and they look now like a, you know, they started the season doing well, 
picking up points based on their strong defence. Whereas now it feels like they're starting to turn the screw and turn into a proper Ryan Lowe free-flowing attacking team. Amazing, because the only thing I wanted to add was a note that <clears throat> they've actually conceded in each of their last six games, Argyle. So as you say, while initially it was the defence that stood out, uh, now it's back to low ball where you concede every game, but you score two or three, so you win most of them anyway. Um, amazing stuff, you have to say. Now Wigan are our sort of PPG leaders, aren't they, with uh, with Sunderland. And they went to Bolton, short trip, and they absolutely spanked them 4-0. Uh, absolutely. Inc- Best team in the league. Incredible. Say that again. Best team in the league. Keep talking. Well, I mean, it was the whole uh, run-up to this game was um, the build-up was all around Ian Everett. He simply cannot help himself. Saying that he felt that um, he felt that his Bolton side, you know, he said, I, I expect us to end up top of the league. From what I've seen so far, we are the best team in the league. That was coming off the back of a defeat at Hillsborough. People will say that's arrogance, that's overconfidence. But on performances, I believe we're the best team in the league. And we, as we mentioned on the last Monday's pod, he'd also said, I don't care who we play, Sunderland, Sheffield Wednesday, Wigan, home or away, we could score six. And that's not arrogance. It's based on the clear-cut opportunities we're creating. Sadly, in this one, they scored zero and they conceded four. Um, <laughs> yeah. I do want to say, I mean, I, A, I want to say, lol, you never cannot help himself. Uh, but B, I, I, sh- I do also want to say, like, this this is a trend now. This is what he does. And we should at least recognise it and, and not just always take it at face value and, and use it always against him. Like, it's it's likely designed to make his team feel a certain way rather than to wind people up or be arrogant for the sake of it or give the opposition a team talk, which but is what's not, always think- said every time. Like, well, they didn't need a team talk, did he? Because the opposition manager said he thinks his team's really good. So pff, that would have been it. That's all you need. I would say, I, I can tell from your from your scornful tone um, that you you think that's lazy analysis, but I don't. I mean, the, the whole given the opposition, the team talk thing is probably nonsense. But there, there is definitely a psychological side to this where... Yeah, you might be right. Maybe he's saying that in order to to try and lift his players after a defeat. But you can do that in-house. You know, you can tell your players in-house that you're the best team consistently. If I was a, a Bolton fan going into this game and I read that, I would be so disheartened. Well, maybe I'd your be... mind would be cast back to last season when Bolton was 16th and Ian Everett no, no, said no, this and then he got gonna... promoted. And maybe if I you're a Barrow say... fan and he did the exact same thing in the National League and then you won promotion, I was gonna say, you'd probably realise you know, that history shows people, Ian Everett tends stopping. to have the last laugh. Right, so do you reckon they'll, they'll, they're going to win the league then? Like, I mean, maybe they will and maybe everyone will look stupid. But there's even if they win the league by 20 points, there is no denying that what he said was, was, was foolish and makes him look foolish. It's probably quite embarrassing for his fans and his players, you know, when they're the, the players will know that when they're four nil down um, and seeing the Wigan fans celebrating in front of their fans, there's no denying that that is just not a very good look. I mean, maybe optics don't matter. I basically maybe just don't want no to put managers off doing this. This is what I want. This is what we right. need. So you're, you know, you're you're entrapping them into doing it more often. By more not please. Wigan were um, amazing, weren't they? I mean, the the, the trio. Uh, yes. You could basically go through the whole team and every part of the team. And just say how good they are. Um, that's pretty clear from the amount of wins they're picking up. The the back four and midfield too are so strong, so structured, so difficult to play through. Um, they've only conceded three goals from open play already uh, so far this season. And then obviously Wyke is doing a lot of good work outside of just scoring goals. And Liam Richardson's been very clear on that. But that three behind him, uh, mm. Lang and Keane and McLean, 
they're just so deadly efficient, aren't they? Like every goal yeah. they score is one or two or sometimes all three of them doing something at high speed with high quality, cutting it back and someone else smashing it in. Like it's just it's just working so well for them. And I don't, mm. you know, I don't really know. Like, you know, the underlying num- numbers aren't amazing with Wigan. And you think, well, maybe maybe you need to start creating a few more clear-cut chances. Maybe it's just they're so good at getting ahead. They don't concede many clear-cut chances, so they don't really need to kick on. Probably a game-state factor in those numbers. And, argu- and unarguably now, just an excellent football team. Uh, and the exciting thing is they're not the only one in the league, so they're not going to run away with it. And I like that. <laughs> Do you want to talk about uh, Sunderland, who are on the same amount of points of them after beating Gillian? Yes. Uh, we'll go yes. for it then. Yeah. Uh, a, a bit of a funny game, this, to be honest. Um, a lot where of shots it wasn't... for Jills. A lot of shots for Jills. Mm. I mean, plenty of those came uh, after Elliot Embleton's red card, which I do think was a red card. And a lot of Sunderland fans seem to think it was a red card live, and then having seen the replay, decide that it wasn't. But I, I, I think it is reckless, dangerous, and out of control. Um, I think it kind of ticks every box for a red card. I'm afraid. Um, but just, having said just that, missing think... a bit of foul and abusive language to finish it off. <laughs> yeah, he, he took it very well, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, was, he just, he just, he just walked straight off. Yeah. Uh, I think he knew that it was, it wasn't great. Um, but this was a, a very different kind of Sunderland win where they they went behind um, to a penalty uh, Danny Lloyd stepping up after the day and Oliver missed his um, last or was it last week yeah um, and then they kind of won it ugly it wasn't a dominant performance at all it wasn't one of their best performances it wasn't as good as we've seen them um, previously uh, the goal for O'Brien was fairly scrappy I loved the Flanagan goal the, the back post header where he basically takes himself out on the post afterwards um, me and Ollie were talking about it on Saturday and you know that is a goal that you probably don't see scored enough and there are probably plenty of centre-backs out there who wouldn't have gone for it who wouldn't have kind of sacrificed their their body and their face for the for the goal but he he did that and um, then it was just back to the wall and Hoffman made one quite incredible save a tip onto the bar um, and whilst it was 11 against 10 for the last 35 or so minutes Gillingham were in the ascendancy had plenty of shots um, created a, a fair amount uh, but when it were unable to to get the breakthrough and you know we, we, we talk about cliches there about the you know the team talk in the dressing room but I, I do genuinely think that this is a game that Sunderland previously wouldn't have won um, they've had a, a, a soft centre for so long uh, at this level in the last couple of seasons and here really stubborned out a victory um, all with a 17-year-old centre-back uh, on the pitch as well uh, in Doyle. So, um, yeah, a, a, not a, you know, we talk about Wigan and their performance. You know, that Wigan performance showed me just how good they are. For Sunderland, they were below be- they were below their best, but they managed to find a way to win. And that isn't something we've managed to say too often about them. Small sample size, but Torben Hoffman's shot-stopping numbers so far have been excellent and in evidence with two particularly eye-catching saves in this one. Um, Inch-perfect deliveries, weren't they? The the assists from Neil Mm. to O'Brien and then from Pritchard to Flanagan as well. When you have players with that quality, that is what they will do. Do I want to go Donny Neil Wickham 2 or Rotherham 4 Pompey 1? Whichever I choose, I'm giving you a good one. I'm going to go with Wickham winning at Doncaster because we mentioned it the other day. They seem to take the lead very early in games. Unsurprisingly, Mm. there's now quite a good stat for that. And Tom Hancock, who is uh, the greatest Wickham fan that I know, uh, has the stat. (laughs) Wickham have scored the most goals in the opening 15 minutes in League One this season. Seven. They've already scored seven in the first 15. That's also the highest proportion of overall goals that a team scored, 35%. 
that helps you win games a lot, George, when you score in the opening 15 minutes. They're doing it seemingly every other game at the moment. Um, they've they've won all four games in which they've scored that early. I think in three of the four, they've doubled their lead as well almost immediately. So they're just winning games with, with so little fuss at the moment. It's, it's amazing. They're mm. on 26 points from 12 games. It's some record. And I remember talking in the summer about how it was a new test for Wickham and Ainsworth. Although they've been at this level many times before, it was about the narrative changing and the narrative previously of up against it, underdogs, our story's so amazing and no one could possibly match it. That was so strong for them as a motivational factor. I'm not belittling it at all. It was incredible what they managed to do. And now they're in phase two, which is like, no, no, people don't see you like that anymore. You can't, mm. you can't keep saying that. And they've, They've relished it. They, they've gone from underdogs to big dogs and they're absolutely loving it. So, you know, no motivation issues, no narrative issues, um, just Ainsworth being excellent. Um, and it, it's amazing. It's a, it's a hell of a start. My, my favourite bit from the game, which was pretty standard Wickham fair in that they scored a header from a, a Jacobson corner and then Akin Fenwa scored a, a remarkable header. Uh, I just enjoyed Anthony Stewart, who headed it from the corner while sort of falling backwards. <laughs> And he yeah, didn't no, have a clue really. where the ball had gone to the extent yeah. that he started appealing for the penalty while the ball was already in the net. Uh, excellent stuff. Really enjoyable. Uh, that does leave Rotherham 4, Pompey 1 for you if you want it. Or you could pick one of the one nils. No, nah, I'll take it, mate. I'll take it because Rotherham are purring. They're mm. cooing. They are flying up the, up the table. Would you say um, they're warning the rest of the league because their manager's no. Paul, Paul Warren? No, mm. but they did have... Portsmouth cowardly in the <laughs> corner. <laughs> uh, I mean, the yeah, the, the narrative here, as we mentioned on on Quest, was Love the was, was was just the stick that that um, Pompey fans were giving Michael Smith in the first half. I didn't really know there was why there was much animosity between them. You know, he had a loan spell there. They signed him on a permanent. I, you know, I don't think he was great. I don't think he was awful. Um, but they, there was obviously no love lost between them. And so when Smith scored the opener. He went up to the away fans and stuck his um, thumb in his in his mouth and uh, and took the um, took the abuse pretty well. Uh, and then it was a great finish from Marcus Harness. You know we need to see more of that from from Pompey uh, to get back into the game at one all. And then you know Brotherham just just stepped it up a, a gear. Smith with his second and then Wooden Wiles kind of adding the gloss to the scoreline. And it was deserved. Brotherham were just excellent as we're used to seeing them. Um, Pompey kind of struggling to really get the ball into dangerous areas fairly consistently. This is a frustrating one for for Pompey because they'd have wanted to build on that 4-0 win at home to Sunderland back in uh, back at the beginning of the month uh, and have been unable to do that. And they've now got a home game against Ipswich to come after. Um, I hope, because I still think that, you know, the Cowleys in time will, will get it right at Pompey. I hope they're afforded the time to do that because I don't think being well beaten away at Rotherham um, is anything to be embarrassed about. I know Pompey fans will disagree. They'll feel like they shouldn't lose 4-1 to anybody and that might be the case, but Rotherham are a good side. And um, yeah, there are, there, in that Sunderland game, there were signs that they are are getting it right. Um, I just feel, you know, with Pompey, we spoke a second ago about Wigan and their side. You look at Naylor and Watmore, who are just two key players for a Wigan side who are, you know, as you say, the PPG leaders. Um let go from 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 Pompey. Um, yeah, it just feels like a club who've maybe let maybe wasted talent, let good talent go to waste at the club. And I think they've got a good talent in their manager. I just hope that he's able to to um, continue to try and rebuild. 
Joint PPG leaders after one quarter of the season. You'll They're never joint. sing that. Yes, Sunderland are also on 25 from 11. Yeah, but what about goal difference, mate? Well, you said PPG leaders. They're not They're, they're not PPG, PPG leaders. And they're then PPG they're tied, joint leaders. And they're not on goal difference. Well, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to head. You should, say, you should say that then. Uh, I'm going to okay. just rattle off two 1-0 home wins because you spoke about both on Quest. And I think, therefore, right. you can have a rest. Yes. Um, I'm going to talk about Shrews 1-0, MK Dons. Crucial points for Shrewsbury. And exactly the performance out of possession that you have to have against MK Dons if you want to get anything from the game. Don's had 75% possession, obviously, but only one clear-cut chance, and that was from Issa. There was half-decent effort from Twine in the second half that was blocked, and that speaks to great shape, great concentration, bodies on the line when needed, and that's what Shrewsbury, as you well said, had a lot of last season and almost none of so far this season. So that's crucial, and it needs to continue. They they then executed a rare foray forward, didn't they? Udo slipping in the on-rushing Wally, uh, who broke the offside trap and finished. Uh, only four shots total, but that didn't matter. It was, it was as I say, it was about what they did without the ball and they did enough to win. Back-to-back defeats for MK, that's slowed them down somewhat, but but crucial, crucial points. I think, I think, I haven't really looked at this scientifically, but if I keep banging on about how many good teams there are in the league, surely it stands to reason that those down the bottom like Shrews have it even harder than they ordinarily would. Uh, and therefore, wins like this are massive. Uh, and, and maybe tactically... You could stretch it to say a bit of a blueprint for their game against Oxford tomorrow. Uh, they're going to need to be, well, hitting similar performance levels, that's for sure. I'll be there, mate. Great. So i have a good um, report for you. Oh, awesome. Thanks, mate. Cheltenham no won, Accrington nil. Pretty good game. Fairly even game. Cheltenham just about the better side and just about won the game 1-0 uh, with Vassell tapping in after remarkable effort from Will Boyle your Boyle stat was amazing the fact that he missed five games and they lost all of them and then he came back and they won uh, it's it's amazing how important he is to this side and it's not too surprising when you look at the makeup of their defence where you know the old tried and tested some of them have gone now uh, and it's Matty Pollock who's young defender coming in doing well but you know settling in and Long who's previously the right wing back is playing right centre back so Boyle is absolutely crucial uh, and a first start for Dan Crowley who I think his signing might have gone under the radar for some people. Uh, championship observers, League One observers. He was a free agent. And with Callum Wright, their very talented Leicester Loney, who was doing a lot of heavy lifting for them in the final third. He's now out injured long term. Crowley's in. And as you said, I, I agree. I think if they can get him fit and purring, he could be a fantastic pickup because I think they're quite a good fit for him stylistically in that they can surround him both with plenty of bodies, big bodies, who can mix it, and they've got runners in front of him. They normally play with two up top, and he'll be behind them. So uh, I think a team in which a technical player like him can thrive, my mind goes back to Ryan Broom when they were in League Two a couple of years ago. Uh, Broom was that guy for them, running counter-attacks, picking locks against low blocks. Oh, my God, that's a good set. That's such a good phrase. I think I've just come up with yeah. an amazing phrase. I'm going yeah. to put that on a T-shirt. Picking locks against low blocks. I think I could, yes. I reckon I could sell at least five of them. Need to set up a Shopify. George Burton three, Morecambe two, Lincoln two, Charlton one, Fleetwood three, Crew nil. Still plenty on the menu here. Fleetwood three, Crew nil. Um, <laughs> I'm glad a... you've taken this one. Why? Well, because I laid Fleetwood on the betting show, didn't I? And I said uh, yeah, they weren't going to keep scoring two or three goals a game. <laughs> um, they were they were superb. I mean the. 
the crazy thing is is Danny Andrew. Like we we have to talk about this because this is getting, you know, Danny Andrew scoring free kicks. Nothing new. You know, we've seen it for years and years in the EFL. Danny Andrew scoring four free kick goals in just over a month, and also hitting the hitting the post with another as well um, is quite remarkable. And I think whilst a lot of Fleetwood fans um, will tell you you're wrong and that they will continue scoring at this rate. You know, they scored 15 goals in their last five league games. Um, I can guarantee you that Danny Andrew is not going to score 25 free kick goals this season. So that is going to be a source of goals that does dry up. Um, but they were good value for this. You know, Will Yaskalina made a save early on in the game, which was one of the best saves I saw all day. Jez Garner, you know, has been a, a brilliant addition to this side. Um, and Callum Morton off the bench made a difference too. They are... And as I mentioned on Quest, I think the key is, you know, Callum Camps and Jay Matete should be very, very good at this level. Uh, Camps has been short of form for a while now, uh, but put in a much better display, even though he didn't cap it with the goal that we would normally associate his good performances with. Uh, but Matete, who has been out of the side with injury for the majority of the season, was very, very impressive here. Um, I think that... You know, if you add Batty to that, um, that midfield trio could be very good. And it does feel like maybe with certain players back from injury, with Garner being much better than we probably anticipated he would be at the beginning of the season, there's real cause for optimism for Fleetwood after a difficult start that they might be um, a lot better than it looked like they were going to be a couple of weeks ago. A lot of goals in League One in general, you know. 2.75 per game this season, which is very Four. 2.53 in the champ and 2.35 in League Two. So up the League One. Gosh. Five of them came on Friday night at the Pirelli. Yes, that's one of my better segues. Burton three, Morecambe two. The Brewers certainly worthy winners in an entertaining game. Uh, they will be pretty disappointed to have conceded from two long throw situations. Uh, Gibson and Stockton for Morecambe, but undoubtedly Burton the better side here. O'Connor the hero midfield for them um, with two goals. Uh, one of them direct from a corner for which he has Adam Phillips to thank, the man in and around the near post, who thought, I wonder if I just leave this and see if it hits Carl Leatherin and goes in the goal or out of the goal. Uh, it went in the goal. I had to watch it so many times to work out how it was an Olympic goal. Because it, it almost looked, on first view, like it hit about three people. Mm. But... Do you, there are, you go. Are you happy for it to be called an Olympic goal? It's a messy one, I think one, so, isn't yes. It? I think so. I mean, it's almost an own goal, but I think we'll give it to him. Wonder if Messi's ever scored an Olympic goal. Probably. He's no Joe Jacobson, no. though. Anyway, no. good performers, uh, as ever. Aikens, ever reliable. Harry Chapman, buzzing around. Jebison up top on loan from Sheffield United. He looks like he's growing into his sort of senior striker mould quite nicely. Didn't get a goal here, but just a good, solid performance. Uh, offered a lot for the team. Uh, as for Morecambe... <sighs> One of their worst performances of the season, um, well beaten, which they haven't been very often, really. Uh, and, and we kind of need to see a response, I think, against Cheltenham in midweek because they've got some fairly tough games coming up and they have clearly started the season so well, but they need to make sure this performance level doesn't become more regular. Uh, but a good win for Burton. Uh, Lincoln beat Charlton 2-1. Uh, I really thought that the first two goals here summed up that these aren't very good teams, basically. The, the, Stockley, <laughs> the Stockley own goal... He couldn't do anything about it, but it was quite humorous. And then uh, Lavelle scored a tackle for Charlton, which is always good fun. Yeah. Lincoln, it was, like the, it was like they're playing FIFA and the controller ran out of battery and then you, they didn't clear the ball where you ordinarily would expect them to. And Lavelle just tackled it in. And then um, from a Charlton point of view, George, interesting choice to stand 
three metres away from Chris Maguire, let him control the ball, look up, scan the box, and then bend in across like completely unchallenged uh, in the last minute. What a ball. Onto the head of Poole, who actually did incredibly well to generate the power to, to finish it off yeah. as well. Fans are calling it the worst Charlton side ever. And to be honest, very few redeeming qualities in the performances. Not exciting in attack or efficient. Not solid at the back. And I can't really put my finger on Lincoln at the moment either, as discussed in the last few weeks. They've won four, but they've lost five. They've drawn three. So anything extra to say about Lincoln and Charlton? You've had notifications on for Charlton for about four weeks now. Um, I, haven't, I haven't won a single raffle. No wonder I'm so bitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I still find um, the Lincoln... Um, I find Lincoln the hardest team to put my finger on and basically the whole the whole of League One, possibly the whole EFL at the moment. But this was more like what we what we're used to seeing an Appleton side being. You know, they they controlled the game, they had most of the ball, they created chances, they limited Charlton to, to precious little. Um a moment of quality from Chris Maguire. Uh, the first time he's done this in a Lincoln shirt, but it won't be the last. You know, he is the king. He's the king of injury time as well. No man comes more alive in in a moment where he need you need a, a just a bit of quality to win a game. To Maguire it might not have been, not have been his goal, but it's just such a good ball in. Um, and I saw hooked off afterwards to get his to get his adulation. Um, Appleton's spoken about wanting to get a, a striker in. I think it looks necessary. You know, the the run of goals from Scully was always unlikely to to continue, even though he did go very close to getting the winner just before pools. I think it was actually from the corner after Scully's shot that they um, that Lincoln. He also did score a very good header that was disallowed. So I mean, he's he's still doing yeah. the right things. Yeah, I was also. Did you hear the voiceover person on Quest calling Teddy Bishop Ed Bishop? <laughs> no, maybe he's had a rebrand though. Is that is that a rebrand? Is that he's like you know what Teddy's a name for a kid? I'm Ed. Um, it, it, weirder things have happened. So we should find out about that. To be honest, um, McGrandles came back into the side, who was also so crucial to them and, and the way that they want to play. Um, so I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not as negative on Lincoln as you are. I, I still think that there is improvement to come. I think they've had their, their issues with injury early in the season. As I say, Maguire and McGrandles, two of those players, um, and cause for some optimism, I think, that maybe this was a much better performance, albeit against a Charlton side, who, as you say, they shouldn't be as poor as they are. But, you know, at the moment, their performance levels are, are rock bottom. Have you watched the hit TV show about an American football coach who comes over to coach a fictional Premier League team? It's called Ed Lasso. We're actually... Yeah. Edward Lasso. Theodore Lasso. He's he's those any bad luck, mate. Very wholesome. Doesn't work. Hey, George. Uh, uh, We're watching it for the second time at the moment with my wife. (sighs) Ridiculous. There's there's enough TV in the world that you don't need to watch something twice, surely. Incorrect. Incorrect. I mean, and I'd also say it's better on the second watch because you know know the characters, you know the relationships. Going back to the beginning and seeing it all start again is... Yeah, I mean, I love it so much. To be fair, I have watched Wedding Crashes 79 times. What comes after League One, George? League two. Well, that's our succession. <laughs> Scunthorpe against Forest Green, George, was top v bottom. And it finished 2-0 to the top team, which looked straightforward, but wasn't really, was it? Because Scunthorpe, arguably the better side for the first half. In fact, no argument about it. And Forest, Forest Green's first goal, a penalty that, to me, looked quite soft. It's one of those where soft. you'd want another angle or two, ideally, to tell how much grappling there was. But I felt a bit bad for, for Scunny because I don't think this was one of their uh, worst performances of the season, but they've been they've been disposed of 2-0. The, the second goal was quality from Forest Green. Wilson, the right wing back, crossing to Adams uh, at the back post. 2-0, a 
26 points from 12 games. What a start for them. Scunthorpe at the bottom of the league, lost again, but not the time to start slagging them off because they played quite well. So let's move on to Colchester Harrogate, which was second against 20th, but this one didn't go to form. George Colchester coughed up a good performance from nowhere and crucially a goal, which was the deciding factor. 1-0 winners. Yeah, a late goal off the bench for Sylvester Jasper, who previously hit the woodwork, uh, his first senior goal. Never um, trust a man with two first names. A very, very good um, run through the middle from Sarpong Wiridu uh, for the assist. He picked up the ball on the edge of his own box and basically ran 70 yards before laying it off for, for Jasper to finish. Amazing. Um, yeah, it was it was a game of pretty few chances. Um, nothing surprising about the fact that the most important player until the 88th minute was Shamal George with a couple of important saves to keep Colchester in it. Um, you have to think that he is going to be a um, a player who's going to attract some interest in January because his shot stopping is consistently picking up Colchester points. And, and you know, there aren't many players who've probably been uh, responsible for, for as many points as he, is, he has so far this season. Um, yeah, a big result for Colchester. Harrogate coming off the back of a 6-1 win as well. Um, Colchester have, have started to look pretty poor and you know this would have been a third defeat on the bounce had they not win had they not won but a, a big home performance a good home win um, in a pretty tight game so as as is often the case in League 2 just getting these three points on the board when you've started poorly can, can do so much for getting you away from that danger area Port Vale are in the top three and they scored three against Barrow they're 1-0 down in this one and Daryl Clark We'll get credit here, I think it's fair to say, with a double sub mm. at halftime, punchy in the extreme, taking off top goal scorer Jamie Proctor, who was due a little Friday night sky, not the top 20 segment bounce. Uh, Daryl didn't even give him a chance to, to, to receive that bounce in the second half. Uh, Proctor and Cass off, a striker and a centre-back. <clears throat> Politic and Benning on, a winger and a fullback. Uh, so it was a big change, a bit of a shift in system, and it worked brilliantly. Politic scored one of my favourite goals of the day. Uh, brilliant nutmeg to get started and then he drove into the box went round the keeper and slotted in rare moment of quality uh for, for Vale that got them going and then Benning scored a hilarious goal where he basically played a one-two with the post from 18 yards out he hit a volley and then back in back in a net <laughs> I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that's a good gag but I I was on a roll so I just missed it completely right okay that's do wanna, fine do you want to talk me through it or will the listeners know they should know. Okay. It's fine. Well, I enjoyed Benning's goal very much. Um, smashed a volley or a half volley onto the post, and then it came straight back to him. The keeper was on the floor from the initial shot, and he just smashed it in again from about 18 yards. At six wins in eight games for Vale is some run. One of the games they didn't win, George, was last weekend against Sutton, who were also on a run of six wins in eight games, and they beat Crawley on the weekend. What happened here? I don't really know, mate. It was just another tight game that was won you know a, a penalty save being the the crucial moment uh at nil nil um, oh, with crawley oh, what was tom nichols doing mate he missed the pen and I then know. he just kicked one straight up in the air for the I goal know. <laughs> no, Shocker. um so that is a, a doubly bad day at the office um and then for for Bizarre's making the save uh crucial there and then just getting the getting the goal was um Oliafe, who we know was so big for them last season, who had an injury, but Millwall was still keen for him to continue his progression as a as a lone player at Sutton, when he probably, I'm sure, would have had other options of maybe more fancied teams. But Matt Gray, um, knowing how to get the best out of him, coming off the bench and, and getting the all-important goal. So, I mean, his his return, I mean, Sutton's 
Um, and it wasn't in itself a goal that shows his qualities, but Sutton being very good this season so far. They pushed themselves into the top six, and you could arguably say they've got their best player now coming back into the side, ready to really really make an impact. So um, yeah, the rest of the you know, and also you think you know Omar Buigal who starts the season up top as well now featuring pretty well off the bench. You know they've got a lot of depth in the side which isn't necessarily something that we anticipated um so a, a huge win for them and and i keep saying that there seems to be an assumption that sutton are gonna gonna fall away but i, I just don't see why that would be the case they've got plenty of ways to hurt teams they're physical they can play um they score goals they're very very solid defensively they are going to be a tough nut to crack that sounds like a great combination more teams should try that oldham beat stevenage everything three nil and they've only lost one in their last five, Oldham. Maybe the maybe the obituaries for Oldham as an EFL side were written prematurely. We'll see. We'll see. Anything written about any EFL side after eight games of a season, arguably premature. Um, they've won two, drawn two, and lost one in their last five. Four clean sheets in that time, which means Harrison McGahey, their centre-back, will feel like he might be the greatest League Two defender of all time because he couldn't play for the first, I think it was seven games, eight games, and without him, they conceded 1.75 goals a game, which made it difficult to win any points. And with him, they've conceded 0.5 goals a game, which has made it much easier to pick up points. Uh, other thing to say is when Oldham are good, invariably, Keylor Dunn is scoring nice goals, which he did twice yeah. on this on this occasion. And of course, Bat Hambula, who's evidently the most fun player in the league did something really fun as he always does um by i love i love the finish the sheer (laughs) just take taking the mickey beating the goalkeeper to the ball and instead of doing what most people do and just try and roll it into the empty net from there just added one little dummy shot to send a defender sprawling before rolling it in like incredibly slowly when there was another rolling it it was as if he rolled it as close to the defender as as he physically could whilst rolling it as slowly as he could knowing it would still go in I loved it Beautiful. what about Benny Kuto eh? oh, I was about to bring him up I wanted to be the first one to say his name on the pod and you've got there in front of me good who is he he's an 18 year old left wing back uh, at Oldham he's made his third appearance got an assist and looks pretty lively yeah I noticed him starting last week um, he signed only signed his professional contract about 10 days ago and looks like one of those quite fun Attacking wingbacks, doesn't he? Who can do some mm. quite cool stuff in the final third and will almost certainly be tested quite a lot defensively and is quite small and maybe that could be an issue. But so far, so good. Shown some really nice stuff uh, in the first few weeks as young Benny Kuto. Uh, Carlisle lost 1-0 to Tranmere and Northampton beat Mansfield 2-0. Which of them would you like to talk about first? Neither, really. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've spoken so much about... You want to do um, Salford 2, Hartlepool 0? No, that's... no, I, I'll, do, I'll do the Carlisle bit um because i've spoken too much about mansfield recently um yeah with carlisle you know gavin skelton who i learned on saturday is helen skelton's brother which blew my mind um i know uh and take and caretaker care um i mean for tranmere this is getting a bit silly now another clean sheet they've conceded four goals this season they, they had they conceded 17 shots on saturday and didn't concede again um it cannot last. And I, I and I don't mean that to upset Premier fans. You know, it wouldn't be a massive surprise to me if Tranmere, uh, you know, are a top three team this season. I don't necessarily think they will be, but it wouldn't be a, a huge shock. But I, I don't think I've ever seen such an, an anomalous run defensively in, in a long time. Um, and there are concerns to me that they've only scored nine goals. 
there are concerns to me that they are so reliant on keeping the ball out. I think quite soon, um, Tramir are going to be well beaten by somebody. And that's not because I think they're necessarily bad, but just because the ball is going to start flying into the back of the net at some point. This cannot continue. Uh, for Carlisle, I'm intrigued to see who they are going to bring in as full-time boss. I think um, the... Quite a, high, a lot of rumours. A lot of rumours about John McGreal coming in. Quite important this one, mate. They're they're literally in the relegation zone. This isn't one of those yeah. like, oh, take your time, get it right. Maybe a nice little project manager. They are at risk of being relegated to non-league. So it needs to be someone yeah. who's going to be pretty hot yeah. stuff. I think. Yes. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, John, is John McGreal the man? Would you Would you be happy with that? Northampton beat Mansfield two 0 and oh, okay. <laughs> He hates hates upsetting people. Uh, I don't know, mate. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I'd be that excited. But I, I don't like to besmirch people. And sometimes managers... I mean, Colchester United is not exactly the, a great situation to manage in, is it? I think we've seen that with their last five. So, you know, open mind. Clean slate. Yeah. Go on, John McGreal. Mm. Northampton beat Mansfield 2-0. And uh, McGowan scored a nice daisy cutter from range, and then Fraser Horsfall scored a header at the back stick. And I'm now starting a sort of side competition between Northampton's defenders and all other Northampton players for a sort of golden boot race because it's currently six all. They've got six goals from their back four McGowan, Horsfall, and, and Guthrie mostly, and then six goals from the, the whole rest of the squad combined. And I'd like to see who ends up in front because. They they are essentially their main goal threat and uh, it's working fairly well for them uh, in most games. As for Mansfield, they are 22nd in League Two, which is so bad. They haven't <laughs> won since the second game of the season. Famously, they started with two wins uh, and since then it's four points from 10 games. And I don't believe in curses, you know. You know, like I remember talking about it a bit with Brentford when people... We're just like, no, they never get it done. They're, yeah, there's just something about them. They just don't know how to close. And then they're like, well, but at some point they will. And then that's you. Then you don't talk about that anymore. But I think if there is a cursed team in the EFL, Mansfield, they must think it's them. And I probably wouldn't argue at this stage. Um, I, I, I loved how you said on Quest, I don't really know what to say because it's really bad. And you'd have thought nigel clough would be the best man for the job and and it's just so bad and not going well um mm. i was tired to add insult to injury nigel i just seen a tweet saying nigel is officially extinct as a baby name the oh, no. office of national statistics has released the 2020 baby names data i'll send you the csv file afterwards so you can sift through it but not a single I think, nigel I think farage has something to answer for that for isn't he <sighs> not a single nigel 189 boys called Kylo, K-Y-L-O. So I'm looking forward to some League Two managers named Kylo in uh, 45 <laughs> years' time when we'll still be podding. Salford beat Hartlepool 2-0. Salford seemed to play well, George, basically every other game at the moment. This was one of their good ones and a comfortable win. Thomas Asante and Elliot combining early for a goal as they did two games ago in their last good game. And I think we can probably expect them to have a bad game in the next game because that's what I now expect from Salford. And Hartlepool, Hartlepool struggle to score goals, don't they? Why are they so bad away from home? Hmm. Played six, lost five, drawn one. I wonder what they're, how they're travelling. Home, home yeah. form, played six, won five, drawn one. That's where the heart it's is. Exactly the same. Home exactly. is where the Hartlepool is. That is, so they're, they're 
they're top of the League Two home table, and they're bottom with 16 points from six games, and they're bottom of the away table with one point, sorry, from six games. That is. That is mad, Ali. That's d- unusual, isn't it, George? Hey, um, that's the end of the League Two section. Now we've got NTT20 squad question submissions. One football one and two frivolous ones. One football one, George, comes from Dan, who is showing himself to be a very good submitter of questions. He says, <laughs> are there any out-of-work EFL managers who you'd particularly like to see back in a job? Yeah, my stock answer for this for about three years is Michael Appleton, but he's in a job, so I can't say him. So I'll go back to the previous messiah of my club in uh, in Chris Wilder. I don't know if we can call him an EFL manager, given that he um, was most recently linked. Well, he most recently was a Premier League manager, and I think quite a lot of Watford fans quite fancy him being their Premier League manager. But I hope he's in a job soon because he, yeah, I mean, he's he's Mr. Sheffield United in most people's eyes who know him only from that period. But I, I have a feeling wherever he goes next is going to, be a, a pretty fun ride and a pretty successful one as well Alex Neil for me just looking forward to seeing Neil. where he goes next I think he'll probably be quite good as long as it's a, a good situation uh, Mike Flynn it's only, it's only been about a week but I'm already missing him and uh, Laurent Banid I'd like him to have another shot as well as obviously Gabriele Cioffi the young man mm. the handsome man from the foothills of Firenze anyway uh, frivolous questions Dean first one up Whose Spotify playlist is best, Ali or George? George. Okay. I mean, I can't claim it as my own, but the 2002 to 2008 in Indie Bangers Spotify playlist that we listened to a lot in my car, that does a lot of heavy lifting for me, doesn't it? But I didn't, it does. I didn't yeah. create that one. My, my issue with your with your playlists is, is that I feel like anything post 2010 is basically just like Radio 1's most played. Yeah, well, that's because that's when the game changed. Yeah, whereas I, I'm still always on the prowl for new for new music. Yeah, it must be so tiring. What do we always play? Uh, which artists do we always play on our <laughs> EFL midweek trips in the high end? I athlete, athlete. <laughs> which is, I mean, I don't think I've listened to athlete apart from in the car with you since Vehicles and Animals was released back in whenever it was, which is which is nice. But it's always good though. Vehicles, high end, animals. Terriers and Us. tigers. There's a lot of yes. a lot of strings to this. We, this doesn't this doesn't happen. And we're going to fly to El Salvador as well, which is also weird. That would so. be nice. I've um I have got quite a good playlist for when, I, but specifically for when I do the washing up. It's mostly Kendrick Lamar and Chance the Rapper. That's my washing up playlist. And then one of my mates, as you know, is a pop star, and he has got a new song out. And if you like pop music, Sam Fisher, Hopeless Romantic. There's a little plug for him. Now you take playlisting quite seriously like you know the national and all those other bands that sound a little bit like the national but ever so slightly happier than the national but still not that happy all of that lot what are the other ones called? is that a question or are you just you know i mean yes i <laughs> i uh i have i have one playlist which is just every single national song and sometimes i'll put it on 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 shuffle i've seen them live i think nine times um, so that's not even I've, best of they haven't even sifted out the the ones where they just kind of got i've got i've got i've got one of those too Fair enough. We uh, prefer to listen to all the tracks rather than just best of. I why would you not just listen right. to best of? Then you get the best of rather than all because of. Because there are because there are eighty great songs. So oh why would I? Why would I do that? Uh, one. Uh, the answer, Dean, is George. Uh, last frivolous <laughs> one. Will asks which non-sport related TV program would you l- most like to appear in? He said 
For example, George may fancy taking on Ant Middleton in SAS Who Dares Wins. I mean, that is bottom of the list, uh, I have to say. Uh, MasterChef would definitely be my one. Nice. Uh, although, I mean, I'd also like to, I'd like to, not a TV program, but I'd like to also guest on Off Menu. And also, I'd also like to guest on... Um, on um, Quickly Kevin. The only two podcasts that you listen to. <laughs> off Menu and Quickly Kevin. Desert Island Discs as well. I'd like to. So like quite, you know, pretty good career aspirations to appear on mm. Desert Island Discs, isn't it? So Definitely. yeah, I'll be there soon. I, think I mean, I think it's fairly obvious for me this, isn't it? Um, question of sport. Love Island. <laughs> uh, right, yeah. You got the bod to be fair. I, I Famously, I was on Pointless back in 2013. So that, was, that would have been my answer, but I've already ticked that box, which was good fun. I hope no one ever finds the repeat of that. Actually, me and Xander Armstrong got on so well that they almost sacked Richard Osman. Fun fact. <laughs> Sliding doors. I, I would have liked for, to have been... For, for a pocket-sized version. Will, Will didn't actually specify that this, that this was like non-fiction. And I would have liked to have been an actor in a previous life. So if I could be an actual actor in a TV show, I think maybe one of the big soaps. I reckon I'd, I could quite enjoy that. Or Succession. Emmerdale, you'd be good. Or Succession. Two. Succession. Who would you be in Succession? Tom. Well, they'd probably write in a new character. The sort of. I think you'd be Tom. I think Greg, probably Tom, probably Tom. Uh, anyway, you, there you go. Again, you're, you're comparing yourself to two of the tallest guys in TV there, Richard Osman and Greg, but they're both about six foot ten. Join the squad, guys. This is the sort of thing that we talk about on there, uh, as well as anything and everything EFL. Um, the, the We've had some new joiners recently who have all, and we haven't told them to say this, have almost all commented on, what an amazing group it is and how much they enjoy hearing about all the other teams in the EFL um, with the expertise and insight that is gathered in the squad. Um, we're going to be doing some midweek stuff as well. There's obviously a full slate. So uh, if you're a fan of the betting show, we'll be putting some um, betting thoughts in there on, on Tuesday before the games on Tuesday night uh, and then also be in some way reviewing um, when we can on, on Thursday. I'm on Quest on Wednesday night, so Thursday's going to be a, a busy one, uh, but we'll try and do some breakdowns on there as well. Join the squad. The link is in the bio. Uh, we've hit the 90-minute mark, and that is final whistle territory, as we know. So thank you for listening to this Monday pod. It's been a joy to talk to Sky Sports and Quest's own George Ellick uh, about the weekend action. Hope you've enjoyed it. Big thank you to our sponsors, Betfair, for continuing to support the Not The Top 20 podcast. As for you... Have a good few days. Let's enjoy the midweek action. We'll be back again on Thursday. Go well.